All right. Uh, Judah and Tamar is the uh, title of chapter 38, 30-verse chapter. I never cease to be amazed at the way God works and the way God uses people. Uh, sometimes the most unlikely people. People change. People grow. Praise God for that. And God uses people even who find themselves in the midst of sin or who have a past, whatever that may mean, God uses people to accomplish His will, His purpose, and to bring glory to His name. This chapter is amazing. Some look at this chapter and say, why this, quote, interruption, unquote, in the story of Joseph? But this is a very important chapter as we are about to see. On one level, this is the story of how Tamar single-handedly preserved the line or lineage of Judah. On a deeper level, it's about the providence of God in preserving the offspring of Judah. And on the deepest level... It is the story of how God's sovereign plan and purpose come about through people as he shapes them to fulfill his will. So we'll read this chapter slowly with eagerness and with amazement. Tamar's story enlarges on a great theme that we've already seen in Genesis, and that is the choice of God as He, here again, chooses the younger over the older, which is not tradition. The immorality of Judah and Tamar stand in stark contrast to the purity of Joseph in Egypt. We may or may not get to the 39th chapter today, but when we do, we will stand in utter amazement at the purity of the life of Joseph. Now, I want us first of all to look at the sins of Judah, and we're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 38, okay? Chapter 38, verse 1. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and made love to her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Er. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. And she gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kazib that she gave birth to him, Judah. Got a wife for Ur, so there's obviously some passing of time there. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death also. 
Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. We're seeing the tradition here, by the way, of um, when, when the eldest son would die, that then the next son in line was responsible for taking in the widow and attempting to perpetuate the lineage so that there would be children by the recently deceased husband. So we see that happening here. You know, Jesus addressed that uh, in, in the Gospels. So let's think for a moment about the sins of Judah. The son of Jacob, in fact, the sons of Jacob, knew that Abraham and Isaac had warned against marrying the daughters of the Canaanites. Now Judah, who, by the way, has leaped ahead of his older brothers, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, as far as importance in the family and authority in the family, he knew full well not to marry a Canaanite. Now why had... Judah leaped in front of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. What did Simeon and Levi do that upset their father? The Shechemite, he took, they took their knives and slaughtered the Shechemites. And so Jacob said, you've made me a stench in the land. So he was upset with Simeon and Levi. What did Reuben do that upset Jacob? He slept with, yeah. The, the mother of some of his children. So by process of sin in his older brothers, Judah had, and by showing some leadership that we'll see continue to unfold, he has moved ahead, Judah has moved ahead of his brothers, and we already know that the outcome is going to be which son will be the one in whose lineage we find the Messiah? Judah. Yeah, we know that already. Judah doesn't yet comprehend that, but we know that. All right, now, back to the matter at hand. In spite of the fact that he knew not to, Judah did exactly what he should have done, and he married a Canaanite woman. And it appears by the wording in the scripture that it was lust at first sight and the language is brief and it's abrupt and so he married her and she bore him three sons Ur, Onan and Shelah now when Ur the oldest one was old enough to marry Judah gives him a Canaanite wife and her name is Tamar so half Canaanite Ur and his Canaanite wife are set to carry on the lineage of Judah. But Ur was so wicked that God killed him. That's just a, uh, to me, it's just a brief statement. I don't even want to try to imagine what kind of life he must have lived that so displeased God that he would do that. But obviously, it was, it was bad. So son number two, Onan, took Tamar to fulfill the duty to raise children for his brother. 
and his, Onan's child, would be considered Ur's child with all the privileges of the eldest. So you understand in the society of the Hebrews, that eldest born son is very important. So the problem for Onan is knowing if I father a child, a male child by Tamar, that male child will be numero uno in the family. And I don't want my brother's son, even though it's mine, I don't want that to happen. So his solution we read about in Scripture. The marriage took place, but Onan spilled his seed on the ground to keep from having a child by Tamar. And God killed him too. So Tamar is twice widowed and still childless. So Judah adds insult to injury. He sins against Tamar by sending her into seclusion ostensibly to await what he says is the maturing of his youngest son Shelah that he gets old enough in order to marry and then Tamar and Shelah will be husband and wife. We find later on that's not really what Judah intended. That's just the line that he gave to Tamar. Tamar obeys. But what Judah has done in reality is to remove her from the picture. At this point, the line of Judah faces extinction. Ur and Onan are dead. And when Shelah is old enough to marry, nothing happens, as we're going to see shortly. Tamar, the light comes on, she realizes that she has been set aside, and it's a bitter truth for her. And so we're going to see that she takes action. Very unusual what happens, but we're going to see what she does. Okay, we got all that in our mind? Are you still holding your chair? Okay. Here's next, verses 12 to 19, Tamar's surprising plan. Let's look at it. After a long time, got that? Long time, nothing's going on, what's the deal here? After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hira, the Adulamite, went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. So the light has come on in Tamar's mind. He has, Judah has no intention of giving his youngest son to me. 
When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. Exactly what Tamar planned. For she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Are you still holding your chair? Okay. Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, what pledge should I give you? She responds, your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Oh, my. Okay. Now, Judah becomes a widower. His wife dies. Tamar, now having realized what is happening, sees her opportunity. Do you know why she knows this plan will work? She knows the nature of her father-in-law. She knows Judah, and she knows what he'll do. To me, that is a heartbreak. She knows him so well that she believes if she can disguise herself as a prostitute and be in the right place at the right time, well, it worked. It worked. After the mourning period, Judah goes sheep shearing with his companion up to where his men are shearing the sheep. Tamar knows that during shearing season, cultic prostitutes would offer their services to the shepherds. So she disguises herself because she is determined to produce a child for herself, but also for her late husband. This deception by now should sound a smidgen bit familiar, does it? Remember Rebecca's deception of Isaac on behalf of Jacob? Judah is immoral. He has no goat for a payment, so he readily, I'm stunned at how readily he gives his personal items that are a treasure to him, he gives these personal items as a pledge of future payment. What he gives, let, let me try to equate it to today. What he gives is like a man today giving away his identity by giving his social security number, his driver's license number, and his bank account number to a prostitute saying, I'll send you a goat for now. You can have all this. Um, I know that may sound humorous, and I guess to some degree it is, but that I wanted you to know this is not just a stick that he's giving her. It's not just a, like my ID right here that all the staff have to wear. It's not just like this. It is something much more significant and important. The seal would have been a, a c- cylinder 
that was the seal, his personal seal of, of great value, worn around his neck, uh, uniquely his. The cord would not have been plain and ugly like mine. It would have been colorful. And his staff would have been hand-carved and uniquely his. And without, apparently, without batting an eye, Judah gives it all to this prostitute that he does not recognize as his daughter-in-law. He just gives it away in order to find the pleasure of the moment. Now... That is astonishing. I mean, this whole chapter is astonishing. I hope it is astonishing to you. So think about it. Three generations of deceit are now complete. Jacob deceived Isaac by wearing a goat skin. Judah deceived Jacob by dipping Joseph's blood in goat's blood. And Tamar deceived Judah and receives things in exchange for a future goat. The transaction is done, and she conceived exactly what she hoped would happen. She put the garments of a widow back on and went back to the house of her father. So when the time comes for the child to be born, he will no longer be seen as a grandchild of Judah, but as a child of Judah. Because that is exactly what he is. Tamar is now a principal matriarch in Israel bearing Judah's son. It's amazing. So what happens next? Verse 20. Let's look at Tamar's success. Meanwhile, Judah said, let me stop a minute. Are you seeing, I know we're really at the sin that's taking place here, it's shocking, but are you seeing over the whole thing that God is still in control and he will work his will in spite of the sinfulness of men and women? And we're going to come out on the other side of this and say, wow, look what God does. Now, verse 20. Meanwhile... Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite in order to get his pledge back from the woman. So Judah didn't want to go back up there. So he sends his buddy. But he didn't find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who is beside the road at Anaim? Anaim? Now, look, listen to this. And I'm thinking somebody's blood should have begun to run cold about this point. There hasn't been any shrine prostitute, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her beside the men who lived there said there hadn't been any shrine prostitute here. Now, I don't know the totality of the conversation that went on between Judah and his friend. However, the conclusion is this. Let her keep what she has. His staff. His cylinder. His necklace that held it uniquely his let her keep it or we will become a laughing stock if I go back up there in pursuit of this I'm going to be a laughing stock 
After all, now he kind of justifies, I tried to deliver the goat. I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, now notice this, this is stunning. Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. He has no clue. He has no clue. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I. It's quite a comparison. She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. Now, for that, I'm thankful. Now, Judah sends a friend to deliver the goat and retrieve his identity, but no one has seen the prostitute. Judah and his friend Hira conspire to keep it all a secret, lest Judah be a disgrace and a laughingstock. Now, I shudder to say this, so I'll try to cloak it in lighter terms. You've heard me say about my growing up that my mother's favorite verse was what? Your sins will find you out. Now that was not really her favorite verse, but it is the one I heard the most. (laughs) And she was a prophetess. Always came true. Now, the gravity to that is that what was true in my childhood is still true. Your sins will find you out. Oh, how we need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Judah, who thought, okay, all this is done, over with, suddenly realizes my sins have found me out. Um, it's far from over. Tamar can't hide her pregnancy. We understand that. There comes a point when it's obvious. So the word comes to Judah, your son's widow is pregnant, and that's a disgrace. So Judah says, bring her out and burn her to death. What hypocrisy on the part of Judah. Let's get rid of this woman, he says. But this becomes Tamar's moment of victory. She sent the items of Judah to him so he would know by whom she became pregnant. And it's you, Judah. It's you. Verse 26 is very revealing. I want us to look at it again. Jacob recognized them, recognized his things, and said, She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah. Now, we hadn't actually read those words until now. We, we saw it unfolding. Tamar's got it figured out. We kind of got it figured out because most of us have read the story before, or if you haven't, you heard me say it earlier. But here it is in Judah's own words. I never intended for Shelah 
to become her husband. Never intended it to happen. So, there's Judah's confession. There's his confession. Now, um, Judah justifies the actions of Tamar in his part as he says that. He's humbled. Now, I know we're shocked, we're mortified, we're horrified by all that happened here. But God is at work, and I assure you God is at work, even in the sinfulness of man and woman, He is at work. And thank God, because He doesn't cast us off in our sin, but He loves us, He has redeemed us through the blood of Jesus Christ, and He still wants to use every one of us. And He does. Now, this sets the stage for a change in Judah's life, and we see the beginning of it right here, where he justifies Tamar, uh, admits his sin, admits his moral failure, which is kind of a gracious way of putting it, a moral failure on his part, and we're going to see a change in Judah, and by the time we arrive at chapter 24, it's going to, uh, 44, it'll be clear. The hidden hand of God is at work in this whole thing. The hidden hand of God is at work in, in Judah's life. And at the end of Jacob's life, he will confirm Judah as the scepter-bearing tribe through whom would come the King of Israel and ultimately the Messiah. So keep that in mind. In your disdain and distaste for Judah at this moment, which I share with you, believe me, there will be a change in his life and it will culminate in Jacob saying, you will be the father of the king who was ultimately David and the Messiah, our Lord and Savior Jesus. By the grace of God, Judah became that man. Look or listen as I read chapter 49, uh, verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Who is he talking about? Jesus. Absolutely. So by grace, we see the outcome for Judah. Now more on him. We're not done with Judah, but... We'll be moving on in just a minute, at least temporarily. So, here's the, here's the marvel, and I think we're going to get through chapter 38. We won't get to 39. I want us to see Tamar's place in history. And I know those of us who are English speakers always love to say history, his story. But, you know, and that's right, we can do that, his story. So let's see Tamar's place in history. Verse 27. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And she was giving birth, one of, as she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out. And she said, so this is how you have broken out. And he, na- he was named Perez, which means breaking out. 
Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out, and he was named Zira, which means scarlet or brightness. All right, let's stop there for a minute. Tamar carries twins, familiar, remember Jacob and Esau. And as with Jacob and Esau, there is a reversal of the right of the firstborn. The younger gains ascendancy, and the key is this, God elects as he will. God is sovereign. He elects as he will, as he did with Jacob and Esau, and as he does here. Now, here are verses. I think I put them on the paper. Did I not? Ruth, did I put that down? Okay. Ruth, chapter um, chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. If you have a Bible that has a um, words before a paragraph, it probably says the genealogy of David. So here, here, listen to this. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz. Here we go. Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Well, I'll say. There you go. Oh, but we're not done. Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Verses, uh, beginning with verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. Okay, there we go through all those names again. Notice verse 5, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Mm. David was the father of Solomon. We'll go down through the list of kings, including Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joram, Uzziah, Hezekiah, all, all the way Josiah. And then it continues till you get to verse 16 of chapter 1. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now you've got the big picture. We have the big picture before us. And we see the part that Tamar played. Blessed be Tamar. It's amazing. She scratched and clawed her way into, into Israel and secured for Judah the honor of fathering both David and and Jesus. God, you are absolutely amazing. Tamar the Canaanite, who began outside the people of God, turned out to be the heroine of God's people. Through her, God's promise to Abraham was fulfilled. And God's purpose is often mysterious. God is at work in people's lives. Often the unlikeliest of people, and Tamar and Judah are certainly an example of that. Now, 
Are, are you willing to hang with me another minute? Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Philippians 2.13 It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Now, I conclude, I think, let me make sure I'm speaking truly. Maybe not. But anyway, close. Tamar is the first of five women in the genealogy of Jesus that are listed. Obviously, there are more. But names, five women in the genealogy of Jesus. Tamar is in Matthew 1.3. Rahab in Matthew 1.5. Ruth in Matthew 1.5. Bathsheba, ring a bell, Matthew 1.6. And Mary, Matthew 1.16. All four of Mary's predecessors, so to speak, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, all Four of them were what? Gentiles. Hmm. Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites. Ruth was a Moabite, was a Moabitess, and Bathsheba was a Hittite. They all declared that in Christ there is hope for the Gentiles. And so I conclude with this, and then we'll wrap up this chapter next time. Luke. Chapter 2, verse 28. Luke 2, 28. Remember when baby Jesus brought by his parents into Jerusalem, they met Simeon. When, when he was a baby, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I'm ready to die, Simeon said. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Now listen to this. All nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Boom! There it is. Jew and Gentile alike. What an awesome God we have. What an amazing, amazing story. Now, we'll tie a couple of loose ends together on this chapter next week and then move on to chapter 39 where we pick up with Joseph again. Remember, where was he going last time we saw him? Egypt. He's been sold into slavery. And what a horrible thing for this fine young man. Well, let's see how it works out. Okay? Let's bow for prayer. Father, you are amazing. We never cease to marvel at the way in which you work in our lives, in the lives of others. And thank you for the incredible gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is the light of the world for Jew and Gentile alike. Thank you for all that you have done in our hearts and in our lives. Bless us now that the rest of this day, people can see Jesus in us, in whose name I pray. Amen. See you next week.